ever. I'm your host, Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. This podcast, we're going to be talking about Marvel Unlimited releases over the last few weeks. Every month or so, I will be, or rather, every month, it's it's semi-consistent. Yeah, Best Comics Ever is a two-times-a-month podcast, first of the month first post of the month, I will be talking about all the best comics I read the previous month, regardless of publisher and where they fit on the best comics of all time list. The second post, which we are on right now, second one each month, I'll be talking about new complete story arcs added to Marvel Unlimited. So again, every week, Marvel Unlimited adds issues, new comics as that were released six months ago get added to the library, and I will talk about them once they form a complete full story arc. So today we have a handful of Marvel Legacy era titles, and then one that sort of bridges the gap between Legacy and Fresh Start. Uh, The state of Marvel Unlimited, where they are in the sort of publication calendar right now, is we are starting to see a lot of the Marvel Fresh Start initiative books, the first several issues are being released. Um, And the way that these initiatives lined up for Marvel is basically in October 2017, Marvel Legacy started. And then in May 2018, the initiative switched to something called Marvel Fresh Start. So we are basically at this point now where we are on the tail end of complete stories in Legacy, and we're starting to see Fresh Start uh, get closer and closer to having full story arcs become available. So today I'll be talking about the final story arc in Dan Slott's time writing Amazing Spider-Man. Slot was on Spidey for over a decade in various capacities. He wrote such things as Superior Spider-Man, one of my favorite Marvel Now books. He wrote Spider-Island, uh, Spider-Man Big Time, which kind of celebrated the idea of Spider-Man, you know, actually putting his genius to use in a, a technology and sort of inventive capacity and also being, you know, firmly on the Avengers and and a whole bunch of stories in between. But his final chapter is Amazing Spider-Man number 794 to 801. Before I get into the comics, let me say that Best Comics Ever is brought to you by support on patreon.com. Thank you to everyone over there who supports us. In particular, some people in the Mysterious Benefactor tier, they're donating $10 a month to Comic Book Herald, which is extremely generous. I'd like to say thank you to Robert Mickelson for your support, and thank you, Steve Brennan. Everyone supporting Comic Book Herald via Patreon or simply by visiting the site and telling a friend, it is all greatly appreciated. Uh, Just another quick note of business here before I talk about the comics. My Marvelous Year is live. Uh, If you haven't checked out the new podcast that I'm doing with Zach Dean, we're going through every single year of Marvel Comics publication history, starting with 1961-1962. And we're talking about all the essential Marvel stories that get you through the entire history of the publishers from, you know, early 60s through present day. So we are about to record the final chapter on 1965. And as far as released episodes go, when this one comes out, the next My Marvelous Year should be dropping on January 21st. That will be Marvel Year 2. 1963 part one so the the feeds used to be merged if you were subscribed to best comics ever right here you would be getting the my marvelous year 
um, posts in that same feed. That's no longer the case. We have separated them out because they are two separate podcasts and it's it's easier just to track and do everything that we need to be doing. Uh, so if you're interested in that, check out mymarvelthisyear.com um, and please try to, to look for in iTunes or your podcast player of choice, look for My Marvelous Year and subscribe there directly. Uh, those, again, those posts will not be published in the best comics ever feed. Okay, so with that said, Amazing Spider-Man number 794 to 801. This is the story arc that is ostensibly all titled Go Down Swinging. And in Slot's final chapter here, uh, the the big build that is happening as Spider-Man is sort of trying to put his life back together uh, post-Secret Empire. Basically, he was a celebrated uh, kind of corporate tycoon with Parker Industries and Secret Empire. That all went to heck. And he is now kind of back at the at the bugle. He's working as the science division reporter, I believe, uh, and or, or you know science research, which makes sense for who he is and the type of gigs that would be available to him. But he's trying to put his life back together. He's got a kind of an on again, off again relationship with Mockingbird. He's trying to figure out, you know, should he be in a relationship with Mary Jane? And as all this is happening, we have Norman Osborn behind the scenes, who uh, basically Spider-Man has, has in previous stories made it so that he can no longer become the Green Goblin, which is clearly a win for everyone but Norman, who craves that that sort of psychosis and power that comes with it. And in order to get power back, Norman Osborn has some agents of his uh, steal the Carnage symbiote. So we get slots here. Uh, final sort of mashup is the Red Goblin, where it's Carnage symbiote on top of Norman Osborn, aka the Green Goblin. Uh, it leads to what is, frankly, a pretty effective story. Um, it's not an all-timer. It's not a knockout, you know, like Craven's Last Hunt, um, or even like Superior Spider-Man, like must-read status in the Marvel Universe. But if you've been following the slot era of Spidey and and have generally positive feelings about it, which I absolutely do, uh, even through the lulls, of which there are several, uh, this is a really good end to this story. It's nicely done. Um, it brings all the Osborns into play. It brings all the characters that Slot has developed over the years. Uh, we get Otto Octavius back, now in his superior octopus role. So it's a lot of fun, and it, it does one of the things that I think makes Spider-Man, um, you know, brings him at his most compelling, which is Red Red Goblin is a villain that he really cannot beat through physical means alone. He needs help. He needs his friends, friends like Flash Thompson, a.k.a. now Anti-Venom, Post-Venom Inc. So it's a good story. It's a really nice end of the era. Um, again, I would not, like, jump straight into this comic. I think if you're, if you're new to Spidey comics, first of all, everything I've just said probably you know, seemed a little daunting and intimidating, I would definitely recommend starting with Marvel Fresh Start era Amazing Spider-Man number one. That is a much, much easier jumping on point than than this story arc. That said, if you're curious about diving into the slot era of Spidey or sort of where the character's been coming from or have been following on and off, you know, you don't necessarily need to have read all gazillion issues. Um, this one's worth reading. It's a good end to the era and, and I recommend checking it out. The next story arc that I read, which brings us closer to that, um, pardon me, that Marvel Fresh Start timeline, is Exiles, number one to number five. And we had these issues actually came out in June and July of 2018. The, the last couple did. It's written by Saladin Ahmed with art by Javier Rodriguez. 
Ahmed most recently was the writer on Black Bolt, 12-issue miniseries with artist Christian Ward, one of my favorite Marvel comics of 2017, and one of the best books um, really since Secret Wars dropped in 2015 for Marvel. That one's great. I think given that, I had very high expectations for Ahmed as a writer on this title. Uh, Exiles is a brand that I love. The original launch of the series came in the early 2000s, written by Judd Winnick, and it's one of my favorite comics um, from that era and, and really kind of in Marvel history. It takes the multiverse hopping and dimension traveling that that you know can kind of get chaotic and crazy, and it gets a core team, uh, often led by Blink from the Age of Apocalypse, that is just very, very easy to follow. So the original Exile series, I would say like the first, I forget exactly how many, but it's 30-some issues are written by Winnick. And those are some of my, you know, it's on my 100 favorite Marvel stories from, from 1998 to 2015 list. And it's pretty high up there. I like that one a lot. So Exiles is following in that shadow. And again, I have high expectations for Ahmed. And I think because of those, um, it's kind of a disappointment. And and I also, I mean, I really like Javier Rodriguez as an artist. Uh, he's done some extremely cool work. I actually think some of his layouts and, and panel structuring throughout this series, um, he's got a scene of like this giant-sized King the Conqueror where he's shooting uh, an energy gun and the sound effect is this, you know, the, it's lettered so that the beam... The beam is composing the letters. It's it's really cool structure and page design. So again, it's like you have a really good writer, a really cool artist doing interesting things, and the book's kind of just okay. Um, it's it's very reliant on some recent Marvel continuity like Original Sin uh, from 2014. That event it plays with uh, what happens to Nick Fury, the original Nick Fury, in that comic in a way that very few series have because it's strange <laughs> and was like clearly mcu inspired um but but again it's putting the kind of putting a new gang back together with the exiles you still have blink at the center of it but otherwise the main team that forms is is composed of uh khan who is a post-apocalyptic version of miss marvel and she is nowhere near the cheery miss marvel we know quite the opposite you have iron lad um, from the you know young avengers fans will recognize uh, as a a you know kind of a time traveling version of that character and you have valkyrie who's a basically just you know a thor type defender of asgard and you have wolvie who is like cartoon um like kid x-men style young x-men um kind of like very cartoony and fearful and and adorable so it's an interesting team. The book, again, I I couldn't get super into it. They're hopping all sorts of dimensions, but every time they go to one, there's some sort of issue with with time, and there's this character called the Time Eater, which appears to be like a zombified sort of head of Galactus, basically, and it's consuming all these dimensions. So you really don't get time to settle into any one place before they're hopping somewhere else. I mean, honestly, through the first three issues, it's really difficult to tell what the team team's role is even really going to be. Um, I'm still somewhat optimistic that this series could get good, and maybe it just takes a few minutes to get going. But as it stands, I don't. I'd I'd kind of wait and see on this one before you dive right into it again, unless you're a huge fan of like Blink um, or or even of the previous Exile series, and you just have to see what's happening.
So that's Exiles number one to five. Another series I read that wrapped up recently is Captain America number 700 to 704. This is the Mark Wade written, uh, Chris Samney drawn cap series that ran, you know, for again, like fewer than 10 issues in the Marvel Legacy era. Uh, Wade knows how to write Captain America. He proved it in the late 90s a few times, and he's proven it again here. Somni is one of the best artists at Marvel. His work that he did with Wade on Daredevil, for example, is is fantastic, and Captain America is no exception. It is extremely, extremely solid. Um, these issues I actually liked more than the first arc because it sends Cap into some uh, future timelines and, and also like travels to tell a story of sort of the legacy literally, of Captain America and his his ancestors. And they're really, really nice Captain America stories. I Again, I don't know that I put them immediately up in must-read status, but if you like Cap and you like the direction this team was able to take it, I mean, this was... It, it kind of makes you wish the run had been longer, even though Fresh Start means you got Ta-Nehisi Coates writing the series, which, frankly, I'm I'm extremely on board with. So... I would check out Cap 700 to 704. Again, if you're just going to do like one story, I think issues 703 and 704, maybe it's more than that even. But once you get to the story that is Cap's ancestors um, in the future, it's pretty clever. And it's a nice sort of like, what does Cap mean? And and how do you emulate him style story in difficult circumstances? Uh, the final story I'll talk about here is Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, issues number 25 to number 30. This is the Fantastic Three, is the name of the story arc, and it is basically um, it's basically a Marvel 2-in-1 with Johnny and Ben, the, the Human Torch and the Thing, um, teaming up with Moon Girl, and you have, for most of the story, Devil Dinosaur is elsewhere. Uh, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur is it's a strange book in the Marvel landscape in that it is very clearly an all-ages, younger audience-intended book, but it is it fits within ongoing Marvel continuity. Um, it's one of those books where I love that it exists. I love that it's there for an audience that is not myself. Um, it's just, it's not for old guys, <laughs> you know, and it's not meant to be, and that's okay. Uh, it is a little strange that it fits within sort of the broader continuity, which is so structured towards, you know, like longtime comic fans. Um, I think that's a balance that Marvel has never really figured out, like what to do with all ages books. I do think they should, in my opinion, it, really, they should be separate. They should be their own thing. And that seems to be what Marvel is ultimately going to be doing. I know in in recent months, they have announced that they're basically going to be outsourcing their all-ages content to, um, I want to say, IDW. One of the, maybe it's Boom. Um, it, it's another publisher is basically going to be publishing Marvel Comics as you know, as all ages franchises. And I think that's a great idea. I think that's those comics should exist because, you know, again, it's this ongoing thing where like kids should be able to read Spider-Man comics. It doesn't make sense that they would be catered toward an audience that is much older, even though obviously I quite enjoy having them, you know, as, as something that for entertainment that I enjoy. But, you know, something like Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, you have to put yourself in the mindset of enjoying content for that is targeting a younger audience. Um, and I think with that in mind, 
it's it's well done well made comic it looks good i this comic in particular again like not only do you have the fantastic four but you have lifebringer galactus so coming out of the ultimates you know he's in his gold costume so you you have a version of galactus that is not even the um, you know, the standard purple Galactus that people would know, and you have the Silver Surfer in this issue. So it's like, it's sort of deep in Marvel continuity in a way that is, again, I think um, I think it doesn't really match what the targeted audience is intended to be. And, you know, I say that there's a letter in the back of one of these issues from uh, a dad basically writing on behalf of his five-year-old girl writing into Moon Girl Devil Dinosaur and how important it is for her to see this young female african-american girl um you know be be described as the smartest girl in the world and how inspiring these comics are for her and that's an amazing thing that that should absolutely exist in the marvel universe but definitely you know the audience that is reading uh amazing spider-man go down swinging and captain america number 700 to 704 like moon girl and devil dinosaur just doesn't fit with that um and that's fine there are not every comic needs to be for every person, but I do think it's, I don't know if it's like DC style, um, different lines, you know, kind of like they're doing where they say black label is for super mature readers as strange as that has, has gone to date. Um, but you know, just kind of delineating what the, or even like young animal, I think did it pretty well on the DC side where that was basically here are the comics for weirdos. And I say that lovingly because those books are strange and really fun, and I like a lot of them. Um, but, you know, they, they aren't written the same way as as Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman. And, again, it's like I like publishers creating the space for that, but I, I do wonder with Marvel, you know, I, and I don't know if it's Miss Marvel, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, um, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. You know, they all follow different sort of structures but maybe have a similar – you know, audience that is maybe more likely to read in trades than single issues and is more likely to pick these books up at book fairs, you know, like at school or, or at, even at like a Barnes and Noble or, you know, trade collect on Amazon or, or digitally on Comixology. Like the structure and the pattern of behavior is going to be very different for different audiences. And again, that seems like something Marvel hasn't figured out, but I do like that they've created space where Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur can exist. All that said, um, you know, these issues didn't blow me away, but again, I'm not the target audience. Uh, any comic that has Devil Dinosaur showing up wearing a tiny Fantastic Four uniform is something that I'm at least going to be somewhat partial towards. Um, there's some nice moments of humor and, and jokes throughout this. Uh, Moon Girl being the smartest person in the Marvel Universe, I think is like, it's, it's very confrontational to anyone who, you know, has grown up with in the world of, of Reed Richards and, you know, these smart geniuses that that are the backbone of you know marvel as it launched in the 60s silver age like that is a that is a serious change of pace to believe that a nine-year-old or however old she's supposed to be is the smartest character like that is a tough sell um but it's but it's an interesting angle so i'd, I'd almost be more curious to see the comic do a little bit more with like what that would actually mean if the smartest person in the world was a nine-year-old i guess it does to a degree but anyway that's the final book that I read here. Um, you've been listening to Best Comics Ever by Comic Book Herald. You can find more of my writing and discussion of comics on comicbookherald.com. Again, we got new reading guides going up at a minimum every Wednesday. 
uh, this past week, we published a full reading order for Conan the Barbarian. Um, I'm also writing a column called Previously On every Monday. That goes live uh, early Monday morning where I review one big comic project. For example, this last week I reviewed the first 31 issues of Deadly Class. The week before I reviewed the... Um, or the next week I'll, I'll be reviewing the first six episodes of Young Justice. Um, I talk about a trend in the industry and then some, just one thing every week in comics that I love, that I want to share. So again, you can find all that at comicbookherald.com. Uh, you can find support for the site and ways that you can contribute and, and talk about the podcast at patreon.com slash comicbookherald. Music for Best Comics Ever is by Anthony Weiss. For more of his music, please go to Anthony Weiss, W-E-I-S, Dot com. Otherwise, you can find Comic Book Herald at that name on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, wherever social feeds are sold. Thanks for listening, and as always, enjoy the comics.